I want to finish up this series that we've been talking about this month of legacy in the month of November. How many enjoyed all the different things we've done with Wave Legacy? And not just this month, but throughout this year, everything we're involved in around the world. And I've been talking to you, particularly last Sunday, I tried to preach a message that I, I uh, wanted to preach all three points, and I realized I wasn't going to give all three points the time it deserved, so I've turned this into part two of last week. And I actually want to talk to us and remind us what we talked about last week. For all, all of our Wave family, let me give a brief recap. And so I talked about Jesus has some non-negotiables, and how that you and I also ought to have some non-negotiables. I mean, there's some non-negotiables that are good for me. I've created a non-negotiable for going to the gym. That's just a life preservation non-negotiable. That's just trying to fight age. That's just trying to fight the fact that I'm almost 60 now, and I want to make sure that I'm still, when I'm 70, I can play with my grandkids. I can still pick them up and not be the old guy sitting at a chair drooling. You with me here? Um, so that's a good non-negotiable. That's a health non-negotiable. But there ought to be some real solid kingdom non-negotiables. Would you agree there? And Jesus had some non-negotiables. And I thought, what are three non-negotiables that Jesus had? The first one was the cross. The Bible says in Hebrews, it says, I want to read to you because it's so good. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy. Everybody say joy. joy. It's a joyful season. That was set before him, endured the cross. How does the word joy, joy and endure the cross go in the same sentence? The joy that was set before him. Do you know what the joy was? It was you. It was me. It was all that was to come after what he did on earth life, that the whole of the world would be under the blood of Jesus, that mankind could be saved in Jesus' name. That was the joy that was set before him. Amen? Scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of God. So much so was this a non-negotiable, that when Peter came and said, Jesus, this thought of you dying, we're not liking this. This is not in the schedule. This is not what we've mapped out. For you. And Jesus spoke to Peter, who just a moment ago, he said, Well done, Simon. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I say unto you, are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail again. Can you imagine how Peter felt? Peter, I mean, he got a new name, Simon. To Peter, Peter means rock, Simon meant reed. And so, can you imagine? He's probably feeling a little overconfident right now. Hey, Jesus, this whole cross stuff. And he encountered the non-negotiable. And when Jesus heard Peter speak, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. I want to tell you, sometimes we got to make sure we have non-negotiables. And when we're challenged to negotiate on those non-negotiables, we need to have that kind of reaction. There's no way in heaven and there's no way in hell I'm going to give and surrender or get distracted from a non-negotiable. So the first one was the cross. The second one, without doubt, was God's house. Psalm 69 verse 9. It says, prophetically speaking, that we will know who the Messiah is because he has such a love for the house of God. We'll know who he is because zeal for your house will consume me. 
And then we see in John chapter 2 that Jesus actually makes a whip and drives out the money changers and he goes, get these things out of here. And the disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Well, how many believe that we ought to have a non-negotiable for the cross? That in today's world, the cross is a non-negotiable. There is no way to the Father except through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Amen? How many know that we ought to have a non-negotiable, that if Jesus loved the house of God, that if we are Christians and we love God, we would equally love his house? Amen? And maybe the third one, in my mind, was to defeat Satan, to plan the ultimate downfall of the powers of darkness. The Bible says, for this reason was the Son of God manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Acts 10 verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Amen? In other words, the ultimate downfall of the powers of darkness. Without a doubt, three non-negotiables of Christ. So I thought, what ought to be our non-negotiables as Christians? So the first one, I think, that we should have as a non-negotiable, you might have some other non-negotiables which are good and healthy, like, here's a good one, character. Ought to be a non-negotiable, not being a character, but having character. Amen? But here's one of the ones that I think every Christian should have. Every Christian should have character, by the way. But here's the first one that I think we should have. And listen to this. We need to make sure that we understand that we are here to reach the world with the gospel. Jesus said, go into all the world. He says, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Two-thirds of God's name is go. People say to me, Steve, I don't have a heart for missions. Give me your money. And I promise you, I'll send it to the missions and your heart will follow your money. Are you hearing me? I can help you get a heart for the world. When you start giving to the world, your heart will follow your treasure. Amen? Some people, maybe you may not be able to go to the world, but you can make sure others go and we can make sure that we send others to do the work in Jesus' name. And without a doubt, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I am with you always, even to the very end of age. Psalm 2 verse 8, ask of me, says the Lord, and I will give you nations. God wants to give us nations. Some of us are just, old. the biggest prayer we pray, God, let there be a parking spot when I get somewhere close to the hall. Or the biggest prayer we pray, God, help me get out of debt. God wants to give us nations. And some of us are just thinking about, God, help me get over my bad temper. Without a doubt, God wants us to reach this world in which we live. Can you say amen? amen. Second, non-negotiable is we got to learn to live by faith. This one's big for me. we got to learn to live by faith. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. That to me... The way in which I live my life, and I've lived it my whole life to the best of my ability, sometimes better than others, but I live with these three words in my life, always, only, faith. Because I'm a faith man, there's some things 
I won't say. I won't say they'll never get healed. I won't say that'll never happen. Because I choose to understand that life and death are in the power of the tongue. I want to be somebody who is not ruled or confined to the circumstances of what this world is, but I want to be somebody who lives a life of faith that calls things into being that are not as though they are. And I am still praying and leaning in with right now Lauren Riddle and Paul Dion and Richard Hudson. I'm praying for the Harrison family. What a powerful service yesterday as we sent their beautiful daughter. It was graduation day for her to go and be in heaven. Yet, I understand we live in a world where we grieve and we mourn and we feel lost. Can I tell you, we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. I live by faith and not by sight. Everything we've done in Wake Church has been by faith in Jesus' name. What we do with our wave legacy offerings has been by faith in Jesus' name. It says, now faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not say. See, I love this one, Romans 4. Abraham, against hope, in hope, believed. And so he became the father of many nations. Against all hope. What is it right now that is against all hope that you need to live by faith for? What is this that you're facing? I'll never buy a house. I'll never get married. Oh, yes, you will. Very quiet in here. Come on, we live by faith. God's got someone. Just make sure it's not someone that you get premature or desperate. Make sure you let God bring the right person. You ought to have some non-negotiables. I will date according to the wisdom of the Word of God. Be not unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Oh, we're going to tiptoe through those tulips. I live by faith. Come on. I live by faith. Peter never walked on the water. Don't ever believe that lie. The water had no ability to hold Peter. When Peter saw Jesus walking on the water, and he said, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come. Jesus said, come. Peter didn't walk on the water. The water didn't hold him. What caused Peter to walk on the water was the word that Jesus gave him. The water will never hold you, but the, the word will. And if the Lord tells you come, the, Lord, the word tells you go, if the Lord tells you he's with you, then my friend, you will walk on the words of Jesus and you will be above the circumstances. Come on, somebody. One word from God can hold that business, can hold that marriage, can cause you to believe for that child that's not living for God, can turn a situation around. But here's the third non-negotiable. This is the one I want to talk about today. And it's found in Philippians 4. And I pray that we're this kind of church. That I actually believe with all my heart, a third non-negotiable. We live by faith, number one. Number one, we are here to reach the world. Amen. Go into all the nations. Two, we live by faith. But number three, we are a sower and we are a reaper. It ought to be sowing and reaping needs to be a non-negotiable in our life. You can't have the reaping without the sowing. 
That is a non-negotiable. Amen? Philippians says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I was sent out from Macedonia, listen, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Boy, that's an exception. Here is Paul writing about only one church for all the churches he was involved in, for all the churches he was starting, for all the mission that he was doing, that not one church had shared with him on the matter of giving and receiving except only them. That's a distinction. And I pray that Wade Church is that kind of church, that when we partner with the ministry of building the kingdom of God, and planning the ultimate downfalls of the powers of darkness, that we partner with apostolic ministry, and we understand that we partner not just in the sowing, but we partner in the reaping. I'm sure there's plenty of people who's preaching about sowing. I'm sure there's plenty of preachers preaching about reaping. But Paul says, only you partnered with me in the ministry of giving and receiving. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I, Paul says, desire your gifts. Paul's talking about, it's not that I even desire the gifts of what you sowed. But listen to what he does desire. But what I desire is what is more to be credited to your account. Because you sow, I know you'll reap. And when you sow, I'm looking to see what God will do because of your sowing, it will reap a harvest, not just for me in your sowing to me for the work of the Lord, but it will bring a harvest and it will be credited to your account. Come on, somebody say amen. And I mean this with all my heart. The age of 17, I gave my life to Jesus. I used to earn $160 a week. My first salary, full-time salary, was $160 a week. And I worked it out that that means before my taxes, before I actually pay any rent, before I pay anything to do with any other responsibility that I had financially, the first $16 of that belonged to God. Amen? $169 a week. I learned that at the age of 17, having just been a new Christian, and I said, God, the tithe is first. That's a non-negotiable for me. Not only is the tithe a non-negotiable, but sowing and reaping. You see, I don't believe we are actually giving when we bring our tithe. I believe the tithe was always his. Can you say amen to that? But giving starts beyond the tithe. And so since the age of 17, I have lived this my whole Christian life, that I will give to God. And I am a giver, and I want to be generous. And one of the things that I want to make sure I give to is God's house. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want to make sure that I give my money to things that hell will not prevail against. Can you say amen there? I want to make sure that I bring my kids into the house of God because if they're in the house of God, hell will not prevail against what Christ is building. Come on, but come on, somebody say amen. Look at this Genesis 8, verse 22. This is for all the people who are worried about global warming. By the way, I, I actually do think we ought to have some sense of responsibility and stewardship of our planet. 
Amen. I'm not about polluting the Chesapeake Bay. I want to fish in the Chesapeake Bay, and I want to eat fish that I can eat in the Chesapeake Bay. I want the oysters to be good. I care about trees. I, I worked in Sydney in the Auburn Botanic Gardens. I looked after a rainforest, a woodlands, a, a Japanese garden, a sunken rose garden. I, I love, I'm all about nature. I am. If you knew me, I'm that guy. I really am. But I do not want, if a tree isn't where I want to build my house, then I'm going to cut, cut the tree down, but I'll plant two more trees. Are you hearing me? So while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night, shall not cease. As long as there is an earth, according to the word of God, there are four things that will never stop. Three of them I have no control over, and neither do you. I cannot determine how cold or how hot it will be. As long as the earth remains, there's going to be cold and there's going to be heat. As long as the earth remains, there's going to be day and there's going to be night. As long as the earth remains... There's going to be a summer and there's going to be a winter. Now, you might determine where you live as to how long summers and winters are. Amen. That's why God made Florida, by the way. It's a great place to go and have a vacation in the wintertime. Somebody say amen. <coughs> I thought that was funny. I can't control summer and winter. I, I, I have no influence of it. As long as the earth remains, that's going to happen. But there's one thing you and I can participate in. As long as the earth remains, look at it one more time. Let's put it back up there. As long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. As long as you and I live on planet earth, there will be sowing and there will be reaping. Come on, somebody say amen. And so I want to show you in Ecclesiastes what the wisest man in all the world. I love to quote this guy because I think he's so good. Ship your grain across the sea. And after many days, you may receive a return. What's he saying? Wisest men in all the world. Be entrepreneurial. Do business. Live life. <coughs> I'm looking for an amen here. I'm going to switch microphones so I can not cough into this microphone. Ship your grain across the sea. And after many days, you may receive it. Be industrious. Amen. Get involved. Church, are you being very quiet this morning? I mean, ship your grain across the sea. Do business. Live life. Don't just sit on your blessed assurance. Don't just wait God, wait for God to bring it to you. Come on, get a job. Amen? Now, now you're saying amen. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, even in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon my man. So what's he saying there? He says, give portions to seven. Invest in seven, even in eight. Listen, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Be industrious. Be creative. Be entrepreneurial. And now he's going, make sure, give portions to seven. Jay. You don't know which one's going to return to you. Why is this man in all the world? This is good stuff. Then he says, if the clouds are full of water, they will pour rain on the earth. Wisest man in all the world. Walked outside one day, looked up at the clouds, and go, oh, rain clouds. It's going to rain. Wisest man in all the world. And you kind of think, well, it doesn't take a lot of wisdom for that. Well, you're missing the wisdom what he's trying to give. 
He's talking to you and I about inevitable. If you walk outside and look at the clouds and they're full and it's rain clouds, it's going to rain. It is inevitable. Look what he goes on. He goes, if wherever a tree falls in the forest, whether to the north or to the south, look what it says. There it will lie. Wherever a tree falls, whether to the north or to the south, watch. There it is. It's going to lay there. What's he saying? Inevitable. Now he continues in that same vein. And he goes, now listen, I love this. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Inevitable. Whoever is ruled by what's happening by external circumstances will not sow. As long as you're looking for a reason externally not to sow, you'll always find one. Just turn on the news. Just look at your bank account. Just look at the price of gasoline. Just look at what's happening around you. If you're watching the wind, the Bible says, come on, catch it. You will not plant. It's inevitable. And whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. It is inevitable. And he's using the inevitability of the rain. He's using the inevitability of a tree falling as inevitable of somebody who doesn't sow. It is inevitable. You will not reap. You don't know the path of the wind or how a body is formed in a mother's womb. So you cannot understand the works of God, the maker of all things. This is his wisdom. Watch this now. So sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. We could say to ourselves, well, pastor, it's a little bit of a tough season right now. If we listen to what's happening in our world and what's happening in nation and around the world with everything that's going on with Russia and the price of oil and rising gas prices, things are a little lean right now. And you know, a dollar doesn't go as far as it used to. Well, I want to tell you, they're the best times or so. They are the best times, not the worst times, the best times. So that's what the Bible says about Isaac. And this is Isaac and the Bible says it was in a famine that Isaac planted crops in the land, in the land, in that land, the land of famine. And in the same year, he reaped a hundredfold. Why? Because the Lord blessed him in a famine. Can I encourage us? One of the best times to be sowing seed is when there's a famine, when there's leanness. And it goes, the man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he was very wealthy. Listen to the words of Jesus. I think we've quite a lot of Old Testament. We better go with some New Testament. And I thought, let's not just go New Testament. Let's go Jesus New Testament. It says, give and it'll be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. It will be poured into your lap. Watch for the measure you use. It will be measured to you. Whoever sows will reap. He who sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. He who sows bountifully, reaps bountifully. Come on, somebody give God some praise. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, let's not give with a lack mentality. Amen? Let's give understanding. Give and it will be given unto you. Good measure. I'm speaking to all of our campuses. I'm speaking to everybody online. 
And I want to show you something here that I think is really worthwhile. Everything of the Old Testament is a type and a shadow or a pattern of what is to come in the New Testament. So we learn a lot from the Old Testament. Let me pull out a couple of verses maybe you've never seen before. Deuteronomy 16, verse 16. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord. And it goes, the Lord your God at the place that he will choose. The festival of unleavened bread. I don't have time to talk about these festivals. The festival of weeks and the festival of tabernacle. No one, listen to this, should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Three times a year, I want the men together, and I want you to come, and I want you to come with an offering. Do not come empty-handed. Amen? And so there are times, I believe, times when God says, come on, make a sacrifice. I want to show you something, and this is a non-negotiable for me. You know, talk to even our own elders, and they'll tell you how this is a non-negotiable for me. The Lord showed me this about making sure you don't get your confidence from numbers, that actually your confidence, who's your source? I mean, here's the problem. If everything's great and everything's going well, it's, it's, you know, it's easy to praise the Lord and trust God and feel like God is with you and God is for you. But it's in the valley that God proves himself. And I want to tell you, sometimes we got to remind ourselves who our source is. And I think the great, now I'm going to preach to you about a sin David committed, not the one that you all know, that everybody talks about. I want to talk to you about another sin that David committed that costs 70,000 men of Israel their lives. Remember, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And David committed the sin, this sin. It was the sin of counting the people who would fight with him and for him. He was getting his confidence from his numbers. Now, if you talk to anybody who's been to any war college and military school, and of course, there's plenty of those in this area, and they will tell you that you've got to do the calculations, you've got to do the analysis, you've got to figure out how many fighting men and women do you have, what are your tanks, what's your air force, what's your navy, what are your troops, what is the calculation, what is the environment, what is the culture, you know, what is the ammunition, what is the backup, what is the storage, what are the supplies, what are the resources, you with me here? But God was saying to David, David, I'll fight for you. And David, I don't ever want you to get confidence from the numbers that you outnumber your enemy. Because me and you, David, are a majority. And I don't want you to go into a single battle thinking you did this on your strength. I will fight for you, says the Lord. Amen. And David was warned by his greatest military commander, Joab. This guy was one of the baddest guys in the Bible. If you ever study anyone who was an incredible, an amazing leader, who at the end of his life blew it, was Joab. And Joab said, David, don't do this. And David said, shut it. I'm going to do it. And so here's what happens. 1 Chronicles 21. It says, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a consensus of Israel. And now David realizes what he did was sinful. Isn't it amazing how there's all, the torment of the temptation to sin is nothing compared to the torment of the consequences of sin. And so now David says in Chronicles 21 verse 8, he said to God, I've sinned greatly by doing this. Now I beg you, 
to take the guilt away from your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. What did David do? His confidence was in the source of how many men were going to fight for him rather than in God. Our confidence can be in our bank account. It can be in our job. It can be in our marriage. It can be in our health of what's around us. And we gain a sense of confidence by those things rather than realize that God is our source. This is a question of source. Do you trust that God is your source? When you lose your job, do you trust that God is your source? He will supply all your needs according to his riches and his glory, not according to your wage. This is a question of source. And so David repents, and now look what God says in verse 11. So Gad went to David and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Take your choice. I love God. Here he is. You got a choice. I'm going to give you three options behind door number one. Three years of famine. Three years of you being swept away before your enemies with their sword overtaking you. Or three days. Sorry, let me start again. This is what the Lord says. Take your choice. Three years of famine. Three years uh, three months, rather, of being swept away before your enemies with their swords overtaking you, or three days of the sword of the Lord, days of plague in the land, with the angel of the Lord ravaging every part of Israel. Now then decide how I should answer and go to the one who sent me. And David said, I'm in deep distress, but David made a great choice. Listen to what he said. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. But please, whatever you do, don't let me fall into the hands of human beings. David said, I'd rather fall into the hands of my Lord, who is merciful and gracious. Please, God, don't give me into the hand of my enemy. I tell you, that's a great answer right there. And so look what the Lord does. The Lord sent a plague on Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell dead. And an angel was sent to destroy Jerusalem. But as the, as the angel was doing so, the Lord saw it. This is what David knew about God. And relented concerning the disaster that he said to the angel who was destroying the people. Enough! Withdraw your hand! And the angel Lord was then standing at the threshing floor of Aranua, the Jebusite. And David looked up and he saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with a drawn sword in his hand, extended over Jerusalem. And then David and the elders clothed in sackcloth and fell down. And David said to God, was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? I am the shepherd. I've sinned. I've done wrong. But these are sheep. What have they done? Lord, my God, let your hand fall on me, on my family, but do not let this plague remain on your people. 70,000 men fell from this plague. And the Lord stopped the angel. And David said, God, it was my sin of getting my confidence in how many men I had to fight with rather than my trusting you're my source. So look what the Bible says. It says in verse 18, the angel of the Lord ordered Gad, watch this now, to tell David to go up and build an altar on the threshing floor 
of Aranua, the Jebusite. So David went up in obedience to that word, the word of the Lord, that Gad had spoken in the name of the Lord. God says, David, I'm going to accept your repentance, but I need an offering. I need you to make a sacrifice. You got it? So David instantly is going to obey God. How many know God's got David's attention right now? So look what the Bible says. I love this. David said to Aranua, let me have the sight of your threshing floor so I can build an altar that the plague on the people may be stopped. Sell it to me at full price. I love David. He wasn't looking for the Walmart special. He wasn't like, do me a favor. Could you, could you, could you cut the brother some slack? Could you, could you, I want to pay full price. There are way too many Christians who are looking for discounts. Oh, that got very quiet. <laughs> David asked Aranua for the site to build this altar to stop the plague. And he wanted to pay full price. Now, if you're Aranua and you just saw 70,000 people destroyed and you see the angel yourself standing there with the sword drawn, I'd be like, Aranua, I want to give it to you. Not only do I want to give you the site, don't pay full price, but I'm going to give you the wood, the offering, the altar. I'll pay for all of it. The grain, it's all there. And I love David's response. And I want to finish my message with this thought. But David replied to Aranua, no, 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 no. I insist on paying full price. I will not take from the Lord what is yours or sacrifice an offering that costs me nothing. David said, how can I give the Lord that which costs me nothing in Jesus? Sometimes you got to be willing to make a sacrifice. Come on, somebody. Sometimes, I mean, it's easy. I can give out of the excess. I can give out of the overflow. I can give because this deal happened and because that happened. But David said, no, no, this one's going to cost me. I'm going to make sure this offering I give to God, I pay full price. I cannot give the Lord that which costs me nothing. Come on, somebody, somebody get excited and say amen.